0: Welcome to the Elevating Athletes Podcast, where we talk about raising up athletes to succeed in sports and life. This podcast is for anyone involved in helping athletes achieve their dreams, from parents, coaches, sports medicine teams, or anyone else that guides athletes to success. Thanks for joining us. Hey guys, this is Dr. Tim Puckett with Puckett Physical Therapy on the Elevating Athletes podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really, really excited about our guest. Um, today we have a uh, coach and educator, Troy McHugh, and he is the owner of TMAD, TM Athletic Development, and I'll let him um, talk about that a little bit more, but he is also uh, a former wrestler. Um, he's a, so an athlete himself, um, an educator, a coach, um, a father and, um, he's going to bring some, some really, really good insight to us today. Um, so coach Troy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I, uh, I, I was a wrestler in high school,
1: uh, wrestling was definitely, uh, meant a lot to me, changed me as a human being. Um, the idea of going out and, um, competing with someone one-on-one in front of everybody, and having to come out either with a loss or a win is really important for a young boy. And it taught me so much about the importance of struggle and the importance of of perseverance. And uh, work ethic in wrestling is is something that has definitely changed my life. So I'm a big believer in sports and what they can do for a human being. Um, My dad was a wrestler uh, and he wrestled in Iowa, which is real wrestling. I wrestled in Florida, which is not real wrestling. And, um, through that became, um, uh, through that developed my love for athletics and in college, I, uh, actually turned down my wrestling scholarships and my wife also turned down her track scholarships and we got married at 19 years old. Wow. And, uh, I got a job as a personal trainer and I worked at the downtown YMCA, uh, personal training, uh, lawyers. And doctors and uh, anybody that was downtown in, in san antonio and i loved it i, I loved um, learning um, and developing my ideas but i really loved the relationships with the people and the conversations and it was an eye-opener to how diverse people's lives are and um, people do struggle with a lot of things and it felt good to you know at minimum listen and in some instances actually help uh, someone work through things and I off, I learned quickly that a lot of our physiological um, struggles are tied to our emotional struggles and so that really uh, made me reinforce the idea that I, this is something I wanted to and so from there I, I coached a uh, volunteer coach with my dad uh, he was a, the head coach at MacArthur High School and I uh, so the sport was at UIL. So the parents actually paid me to, to come and coach. And then through that, I decided I wanted to definitely be a teacher. So I got my teacher certification, but kept doing the personal training and the coaching on the side. And um, My wife was hired at the same time. When we both graduated from college, she got the head track and field job at uh, Roosevelt High School. And at that time, she was the youngest head coach in the district
0: wow that's awesome yeah it was a
1: real compliment to her and, and jerry uh called her in his office he was the the ad for the district at the time and he he grilled her but i guess it worked out because he let her let her nice. be the coach and um so we both lived the coach life and uh, we both got to work with different populations of people she was working with female sprinters from a different part of the city and i was working with male wrestlers Uh, a few female wrestlers, actually. And so we would just go home and have discussions. And and it really allowed us to expand our um, views on the difference between different kids and how you coach kids and how you approach kids and the difference in sports. You know, uh, having a wrestler work really hard is a good thing. Having a sprinter run a lot of distance is not. So there was a lot of things to to think about. Um, So then my father retired and um, at the same time, my father retired, my wife and I were, well, my wife was pregnant, we were going to have our first kid. And so we decided if we had a boy that I would continue doing the wrestling. And if we had a girl that Jim would continue coaching, uh, for track. And one of us would have to give up the coaching so that we could support the other person. So my dad told me that we knew they were only going to have one child and because my wife could only have one child. And he said, you, you want a girl, you don't want a boy, because there's a lot of things you can do the same, but you only do certain things with a girl. So we had a girl. And so I gave up the wrestling and, and, and Jen started doing her track coaching. And, but through that, I really fell in love with track and field. Uh, the spectrum of athletes that are available in track and field from a distance to a thrower, to a jumper, to a sprint, It's just, it's every athlete really can fit somewhere in track and field. And so I ended up coaching with her. So we ended up both coaching, but (laughs) it worked out. My my mom had retired, and so it worked out that G was having plenty of time. We took her everywhere, we dragged her along. She's a coach's kid, 100%. And so through that, TMAD was born. And I was doing, you know, uh, I had learned very traditional things, uh, CSCS, the Central Zone Strength and Conditioning, but Cal Dietz had uh, uh, published a book called Triphasic Training. And that book really opened up my mind. It really showed me what strength and conditioning could be. It's just, it's not just weights and how much you lift. There's, there's a lot to it. And so that's where TM stands for is triphasic methods, athletic development. And so that's TMAD was born and, um, yeah, that's about it, man. That's got it to where we are today. Nice. That's awesome.
0: And it just so happens that TM are, that's your initials too, right? So a lot.
1: yeah. But uh, it's it, people often think that's what it is, but it's actually not. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I think Cal opened up the minds of a lot of strength and conditioning yes. coaches, you know, in in that world with his triphasic. He um
1: he, has he really has a gift. Uh, we, you and I, will read the research and we'll apply it and we'll figure it out. But his uh, ability to his application of the research is really special. He's always thinking outside the box and being able to work, you know, the University of Minnesota has access to, he convinced all these professors from different parts of the departments to let him use their, like their, their camera equipment and their force plates. And he agreed to have these kids come over and do like his physics experience, but he was really testing all his theories, you know? Yeah. So he's real smart. Cool dude. Yeah. It definitely makes you think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you have a, a very unique training approach and and some of it is based off of this, this triphasic method. So tell us about your unique training approach. So I, I do what is unique about
1: TMAD. And of course, everything that I am going to say is uh, my perspective. And there are many perspectives, there's this uh, a picture of the universe, you've probably seen it. And it has uh, a little white dot in the middle and there's a little arrow and it it says that's earth and then it says that everything that's ever happened every dictator every um war every great thing every everything has happened in this little tiny dot in the universe and most people look at that and they think of oh look how insignificant we are look how little we are look there's so much out there and that is a honest perspective but there's also another perspective And, and if you separate the prism of or if you view it through this prism of not size through the prism of complexity well the human being the human species is the most complex system in the universe so that changes what that actually means and so the perspective that i've always viewed well not always that evolved into is viewing things through the nervous system i believe like if it was a hierarchy of, of the system that the nervous system is king, and the brain is the CEO. And so I, I view all of my training through two, with two variables in mind. Am I pushing the athletes to the sympathetic state, which is um, fight or flight, your survival state, or am I pushing them to their parasympathetic state, which is your anabolic, state, where you recover, where you sleep, where you, um, do things with, with good cognitive ability. Um, one of the things that you'll often hear you and I hear and parents will hear is this kid is so good in practice, man. They work, they, they do it. They shoot the ball, they make it, they kick the goal. And when they get to the game though, man, like they just, they don't do as well. And you'll hear this all the time. And really, if you break that down to its, to its base, to its foundation, it's that in practice, they're parasympathetic and they're cognitive and they have full signaling to their limbs. They're not in survival mode. When they get out in front of people, the anxiety increases, they go sympathetic. The body decreases signaling to the limbs and they literally can't run as fast. They can't jump as they can't kick the ball as hard. And then they have less cognitive ability The the, the autonomic nerve starts taking over and they're not thinking. And so is that's all it is. So if we could teach that kid, to be more parasympathetic, they will perform better. And the idea is not only they perform better, but theoretically, you know, we should be able to reduce the risk of injury now, non-contact injury.
0: Right, right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So the the nervous system really is the, the driver of, of, you know, what we do, right? I mean, it, it's the communication between our, our brain and the rest of our body and, and then the information, being sent back to the brain and the brain doing stuff with it. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So you're telling me that the nervous system can be trained.
1: Yeah. All right. So,
0: so tell me more about that.
1: Okay. So uh, we take a a very specific approach and again, this is, um, what I've used successfully and I found to be very successful. And I'm going to say some, um, programs, like I'm going to say RPR, but that it's not just RPR there's be activated. There's, um, Postural Restitute, uh, P-R-I, Postural Institute, Postural Restoration Institute. There's also um, like a, a Tier 1, something like that. It's a really good one. I'm looking into that one right now. But what I've used successfully is RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset. And we, we were talking about the nervous system, the brain. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit into how possibly RPR works and why that's important when I talk about the nervous system. So the brain is the CEO of the nervous system, and the most valued part of the nervous system is the, the plasticity that's in the brain. But the brain, through evolution, we have it's allocated responsibility of locomotion, of movement, to these reflexes that run down the spinal cord. And those reflexes are exactly what they sound like. They, they reflex or respond to stress. So what RPR does is say that you are a typical high school student which is what we work with and you're doing what we're doing right now. We're sitting on our, our glutes all day. The signaling from the glute to that particular receptor is saying like my glutes aren't important. I'm sitting on them. Not only that, you're compressing your stomach, which there's a muscle in there called the psoas, which is a really important muscle for your nervous system. And it's, it's, it's tightening. And there's this, this law it's called the Sheraton's law of inhibition where the agonist, the muscle that's contracting, the antagonist, the, the, the opposite muscle, the support muscle has to relax. So not only is your body signaling glutes aren't important, your psoas is getting tight. So what that's gonna do is it's gonna turn off signaling to the glute. And the glute is the prime mover. It's the it's the key. So RPR can actually go and find out that that's happening, there's some tests you can do. And then we can bypass those reflexes we can touch. Now, this is where the part, I I can't scientifically say exactly what happens, but I can tell you what the outcomes are. So there's certain ways you can touch the body of an athlete. You can use a muscle gun or a a hypervolt, and you can stimulate neuroreceptors in different parts of the body that will send an alarm to the brain and the brain will bypass the receptor and reconnect. So it's not that your glutes not activated and, and not working. It's that it's not activated as well as it could be. And it's not working in the way it's intended to be. We've pulled out the chair. We've sat in the chair for hours. That's not something that evolution has resolved yet. So RPR, what we do, the kids will come in, we do an RPR session with every single kid before I ever train them. And we go through and we isolate any compensations or any issues they might have. So a compensation is gonna happen when you're sympathetic because you're in fight or flight. So if you are running through a safari and a lion's chasing you, and you step in a hole, your body is going to compensate for that injury in the ankle, and it's going to send signaling to different muscles like that. It's going to correct your gait as much as it can to get you to be survival. Well, that's great for survival. It's actually amazing, but it's horrible for athletes that aren't in survival mode, but have forced themselves into the sympathetic state, and so sitting like we're sitting you get up and you go run or squat or, or play soccer or basketball you're playing with a compensation because the glute is not working as it should so we find those compensations we resolve those compensations and then we go into training and we never train an athlete if they're having a compensation and if you just want a little shortcut on how to find out if someone's compensating i have this like uh, treadmill that's curved Um, And it has no motor, it's motorless, but it makes you run in max V form, even when you run slow. So you don't have to do a a great intensity, but when you run in max V mechanics, you can see those compensations really quick. Yeah, definitely. So then we, we know, okay, we still have work to do. So we do RPR and then after RPR, we look at everything that we do as far as training. Um, and we try to stay as parasympathetic as possible. So. We actually don't load our athletes back. We don't do any back squats. We'll do waist squats on like a K box or a pit shark. Uh, we do a lot of isometrics. We do a lot of eccentrics. We do a lot of things that are within what we would call the reflexive system. So um, everything's neurological. Everything's through the reflexive system, and everything is has to be the athlete has to be in a state that they're able to train not in a place where they're going to be compromised. If they do train, we're not trying to put them deeper and and more at risk of injury. We're trying to reduce the injury, put them how they're supposed to be naturally. And then they'll take care of it themselves. They'll get faster. Naturally. You can do RPR on a kid and they can jump two inches higher on the vertical. They didn't get any stronger. They just, they're working, their body's working the way it's supposed to be.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And, um, it's, it's a, a well thought out approach. It's not just, Hey, let's throw some really hard exercises at somebody and just make them, you know, sweat their butt off. And, uh, you know, we'll, we're bound to get better that way. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that is a really, really cool approach. So what type of athletes benefit from this type of training? Okay. And that's a great question. And that is one of the reasons I have a lot of
1: faith in what we do at TMAD. Um, if there was a, a a, a pyramid, On the bottom of that pyramid is the nervous system and the idea is fundamentally if we can enhance the nervous system then everything else above the nervous system on that pyramid is going to be enhanced so right now i'm playing around a lot with the vestibular system which is um, the vestibular system is, is orienting yourself in space so we try to take sight away from the athletes and have them do these different things where they're they're not able to use their sight their bodies have to figure out how to orient itself in space and the fastest animals have the greatest vestibular system you can take there's this really cool video on a line i think it's a hawk it might be an eagle i think it's a hawk and the guy's like turning its body Mm -hmm. in his hands and the head does not move you know but even a cheetah it has the high, the really efficient vestibular system so What If we train the nervous system, if if we enhance that, then everything above it should get better. So my training is very specific. We don't do energy systems. Um, If you're a baseball player, I'm not gonna have you swing a bat at training. If you're a soccer player, I'm not gonna have you, I'm not gonna do an exercise that mimics kicking a soccer ball. What I'm going to do is make sure that you're not quad dominant, make sure your glutes are firing, make sure that your body is parasympathetic, And then we're going to activate high threshold motor units, we're going to work eccentrics and isometrics, we're going to work oscillatories, and I can go into what those are later, but the idea is let's enhance this, let's get this athlete a better athlete, and then they'll kick the ball better, they'll swing the bat faster, short little story, um, Josh Young is a baseball player for the Rangers, and um, I worked with him a lot over COVID because they couldn't really train very much. So we did a lot, all all of it was 100% within the reflexive system, which just a generic definition for reflexive system is, is your body does things without you cognitively making it do it. So like locomotion. And so we did all these things within the reflexive system. We worked the vestibular, uh, we did the extreme isometrics. We cleared compensations and he has this, uh, batting cage with force plates and like cameras and he goes to this guy and he he evaluates him, And he was like, I've never swung this good before. I've never swung this bat this fast. Like, and the big thing for him is I never felt this good. Like it just feels natural. And that was a real Testament to like the idea that if we enhance the nervous system, everything else will take care of itself. Now he still has to go to baseball coach and learn how to swing. Right. And a soccer player still has to go to their coach and learn how to kick the ball. But maybe, you know, what I can do is do something that makes all of that better. There's this really cool analogy of a cheetah. And you'll see a cheetah on a safari and a gazelle will come into its view. The cheetah has been laying down, sleeping in the shade, but it's time to eat. It gets up. It starts stalking, and then it runs 75, 80 miles per hour and catches the gazelle or misses it either way. It doesn't do a warm-up. It doesn't do some drill. It doesn't do stretching. It doesn't even do a cool-down when it's done. It got up, and its reflexive system knew exactly what to do. It didn't pull a hamstring. So I think you know, we can apply that idea to humans, possibly, if we can be as natural as as we should be if we could undo all the things we've done to ourselves, like looking at the computer, sitting at the desk, eating horrible food, if we could just at minimum go back to moving like we're supposed to move, then I bet you we would be better in every sport that we would participate in.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you there. Um, the, the luxuries that we have in, in our modern society, um, th- those weren't necessarily – uh, you know, around um, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly benefits to, to these modern, um, you know, advances that we've made. But um, is, it, is it doing us justice in our, um, you know, athletic performance? Probably not. Right. Well, how Probably many injuries not? do we see? Yeah. Too, I mean, many.
1: We, Too many. We're training more than ever. We got so much research. I mean, the research and training and conditioning is off the charts right now. We have access on our phones to anything you'd ever need to know. And yet our kids are still getting injured all the time. Yeah. And they're also more anxious. They're unbelievably anxious. Yeah. So there, there's something that at least to evaluate at minimum, to evaluate what, what's going on.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. And I got to throw it in there. Josh Young, he's a Red Raider. Yes, he um, is. Yeah, Texas in his brother State, too. Baseball. Yeah, yeah, his brother too. His, yeah. his brother's playing amazing. Um, so yeah, that's that's really cool that, that uh, you're able to help him in that yeah. way. Um, really really good kid.
1: Yeah he is. Uh, yeah. I work with Jace too. I'm bringing that up because one of the best things I love about these small groups that TMAD I only do small groups, no more than ten kids. And but I had uh, in that COVID year, that COVID summer, had Jace, Josh, Ashton once who's a runner at SMU, and Bryson Carroll who was a football player at Mexico, New Mexico. They were so competitive, Josh and Jace. They would smack talk, and 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 if if one of them missed, like if Jace missed and Josh was there, Josh would never run as fast, or if if, opposite true too. Yeah. And those those dudes push each other so hard. You know, it's not any surprise that that they are as good as they are, because they really have the work ethic, but they also are able to stay light light about it not take it
0: too serious you know yeah it's not life and death yes yeah that's important it is important yeah there's a lot of pressure on our athletes these Mm -hmm. days and um yeah if if we can help them gain perspective uh, that can go a long way no doubt um so switching gears here a little bit um what are some questions that you get from parents of athletes what what do they talk to you about what do they ask you so
1: necessarily very good question. And I've been actually thinking about that question lately. Um, they are very trusting, my parents. And so at TMAD, I used to have a uh, waiting list uh, for people to sign up, and but it, it got um, pretty big. And the problem I always have with small groups is if you, I don't know who the athlete is, and I put someone in a group that doesn't make the group better. Well, it's really hard to kick a kid out. You know, are you, you going to do that? Right. So, at this point, for the last year, it's the only way to get into a team AD is to have to be referred by a current team AD athlete, which allows me to know that everybody I'm getting is going to be, I know enough about them. So, the parents don't ask me a lot of questions because it's such a small, tight knit situation. But the questions that I think parents should ask is, you know, what is the philosophy of the training? Like, I look at a very globalistic approach to strength and conditioning. I, I, we just talked about how my view is, is, is only the nervous system. And it, and that everything I do is the idea is I support everything else that they're doing. I'm, they're not going to do more running with me. They're not going to do more soccer with me. They're not going to do more volleyball. We're going to only do this specific thing. And the idea is that we're always going to be reevaluating and and looking at it. I also keep a lot of data. So I think it's important that parents ask for data to not be afraid to say, is my kid getting faster? And if the goal is, let's say your kid is a sprinter and they're with a trainer and they're getting uh, higher verticals and they're benching more and squatting more and they're seeing all this stuff, but they're not getting faster. I think it's okay for a parent to say, hey, I'm just wondering, my kid's squats gone up, their bench has gone up, but they're not running any faster at the meet. I think it's okay to ask those questions. Um, It's also important to ask like, how much they prioritize their training over their coach's training? Is this training gonna be more important than their coach's training? So if we have two nights, and are they expected to come to your training and miss their, their training with their other coach? Because that's important to know up front. Uh, it's also important to know, like, I would want to ask any trainer, like, what is it about my kid he liked the most? And see if it's a performance answer or if it's a personal answer. I'd also like, think parents should ask, is um, what's the most important thing you value? Is it purpose-driven goals? Is it outcome-driven goals? Mm, yeah. and, and it's okay because you might want a coach that's outcome driven, you might be like, my kids got a good family, I don't need like, what I want outcomes. Another one might be like, well, you know, they're gonna do what they're gonna do, but they're gonna be loved here. You know, my philosophy is that, you know, if you have a Venn diagram, you got purpose on one side and outcome, where they cross over, that's where you should be, you should be able to be the best athlete in the world and be supported emotionally. So those are some questions I think that parents might want to ask, you know, at least observe at minimum. Yeah
0: man, those are, those are really, really good questions. Um, I think all too often, we only focus on the outcome. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I see athletes, you know, they'll get frustrated when uh, they lose a game or they strike out or, you know, whatever that perceived failure is um, because they didn't reach an expected outcome. But you can still get better in those times and situations right Right. i mean you know you may not win the game but you can still become a better teammate uh, a better better athlete um you learn from those failures yes um but i think when a coach is so driven on the outcome and and then the athlete that's all they focus on is is the outcome then um yeah that adds a level of anxiety that you mentioned um that pressure to perform is is there and then maybe that sympathetic yeah, nervous system is taken over and definitely. um and then burnout yes you know then the athlete may not want to keep running track or you know whatever sport it is that, that, that they're into so i think those are really really important questions
1: that's uh, really important the burnout too is i'm sure as a physical therapist you see this a lot like when you are sympathetic we, there's studies that have shown that kids are sleeping sympathetic. And they know this because when you're parasympathetic, you you belly breathe. And people go anabolic. Or, so your anabolic is just when your hormones are released to help your body heal, like growth hormone, things like that. And you, you're going to be belly breathing. But they have these kids that are so anxious that they're chest breathing at night. So they're somewhere on the spectrum. We're not completely sympathetic and completely uh, parasympathetic are just somewhere on there. But that means that they're catabolic or there are hormones that are released that are breaking down tissue, even while they're sleeping. And now why, why would a kid not be anxious, right? Why would they not burn out? I mean, it'd be a miracle for them not to burn out. You know, my wife has this unique approach, in, um, to, so track and field is very cool because it's good and bad, you know, what you run and how that compares to anybody else in the world. Yeah. So if you're a long jumper and you jump 23 feet, you know that that 23 is somewhere here in the world, right? It's not subjective, you know what it is. So the problem with that is if you're not good, you gotta accept it. And if you are good, you gotta be careful not to be too cocky, right? Or let that pressure stay on you all the time. So she, she does this thing where, it's process goals, it's process. We know that the process to get you to this, to this goal, this outcome driven goal, is gonna look something like this. So every single meet, we're gonna work on a process goal. And she'll even do things like, so in, in pole vault or jumping, you can do what's called a long approach where you gain a lot of speed, the more speed you have, the further you'll jump, theoretically, she'll make them go short approach. So that takes away, they're not gonna get a PR today. And she makes them work. on on the process, and I think that's a really good way for parents to talk to their kids is not outcome. What's the process, baby? You know, like, tell me what the process is for you to make this team. What's that going to look like? And I'll be here to support you, you know? And then always, always the purpose. You're here on purpose, and you're here for a purpose, and if you don't, the outcome doesn't happen, you're still a better person. So the great thing about struggle and suffering, and you referred to earlier, is that it's a privilege to be under pressure because no matter the outcome, you're a better person on the other side of the pressure. So it's better to go out there and face that pressure and whatever happens, happens, because you're gonna learn from it. You're gonna be better. You're gonna attain a, a piece of your potential. You cannot attain potential without suffering that the worst thing we can do is protect our kids from suffering. We need to expose them carefully and methodically to adversity. That's how they're going to build resiliency. You know, that's what's going to make them possibly great in the end, you know, possibly attain their potential and be what they can be.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. That's, I mean, if, yeah, if we don't hear anything else from, from this talk, that might be it right there. Um, you know, with the sports rehab that we do, There's no way to go through rehab and an injury without suffering. Yeah. It's just not possible. Um, but that's where the growth happens. Yeah. That's where you get better. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's important to be there to support the athlete through it and guide them through it. Um, but we can't protect them from, from that, that challenge or, or that potential. suffering. you want your
1: kid happy at 12 or do you want them happy at 40, right? Yeah. If you want them happy at 40, when they're a parent and they're having kids and families, you're going to treat them different at 12. Yeah. If you want them happy at 12, they're probably going to be miserable at 40, right? It's, it's all perspective. It's what's the, yeah. what, what is the outcome for this kid physically and emotionally, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay. So pivoting again. Okay. If you could go back and change anything about your athletic career, what would it be? So I, uh,
1: just, it's a two-pronged question, but they're actually interrelated. As a wrestler, I cut a lot of weight. I actually, what was it? was a solid wrestler. My um, dad was my coach, but I actually worked with um, a guy named Doug Blueball, who was a 1960 Olympic gold medalist and outstanding wrestler of the world. And he was a big influence on my life. Not, not just for wrestling, but just in general. And, uh, wrestling is a very difficult sport is very, I I would wrestle three, four hours a day and he would come live with me. He lived in Indiana, but he would come down to Florida and live with me and train me. And, um, it was a great privilege. I never took it for granted. Uh, but we went, I, I won the state championship in Florida and I was really living large and feeling good about myself. And, um, we went to the equivalent of HEB It's called food world in Florida. And he had this beat up truck. He was very uh, humble. And so he goes, I want to get you a Gatorade. Troy. I want you to come in with me. I want to buy you a Gatorade. And I'm like, Doug, like, <laughs> okay. And I can tell him "No," you know, so we walk into the store and he goes, I'm buying this Gatorade. I was like, Oh, no, Doug, I don't want you to buy my Gatorade. He's like, he gave me that look. He's like, I'm buying this Gatorade. So we go to the store get the Gatorade, he checks it out. You go back to his little truck. I open up my Gatorade, he goes, did you see what just happened? I was like, yeah, no, you, you bought me a Gatorade. He goes, no, I'm just an old man. Walked into a grocery store and bought a Gatorade. I'm not an Olympic champion. He goes, don't give up too much. And I really think that's important. Sports is important. It can develop you. It can do unbelievable things for you. But if you get in the wrong mindset and, and you take it to a, the wrong perspective, it can destroy you. And he was grounded. You know, he realized he was an old man and he was buying gear and it didn't matter, but also did cause here he is in my life, helping me become a better person. He kept it in perspective. Right. As a trainer, I think, I just wish I would have known now, uh, what I didn't know then. And I did a lot of back squats. I, I lifted heavy. I hit to, heavy deadlifts. I was training the kids sympathetically and we had um, back pain and, but I was like, well, it's okay. Like it's worth the trade-off because I'm activating high threshold moves. Now, this, this squat's going to make them faster and better. I started keeping data and I realized it didn't, it didn't actually, it might've made them worse, you know? So I really regret that I had to put other people through that. Um, and I'll never do it again. Now you can squat. There are ways to squat very, uh, you can squat and then do like a March and then you can bring them back sympathetically. Like you can uh, change positions. You can do a split squat, hold on. Like there's lots of things you can do. But for me, I just, I don't have any chin splints. I don't have any back pain. I don't have any hamstring tears. I have nothing like that. And I'm, I'm okay with that because if we get into like some of the K box stuff, I know they're producing unbelievable amounts of force. And I know that their nervous system is being enhanced because they're getting faster and faster and faster. The verticals are going up, the broad jumps going up and we're, we're just pulling it out randomly. It's not like we're working on broad jumps. We're not working on vertical jumps. They're just getting a
0: better nervous system. And so they're performing better. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Um, So how can we as supporters of athletes do a better job of, of helping these athletes? reach their dreams.
1: So <clears throat> kind of what we talked about earlier with the the crossover of purpose driven goals and outcome driven goals. I think the first thing that we need to tell our kids is that they are here on purpose and for purpose. It's important that they understand their life matters. And then I always tell these my kids there's like four words and I put them up on the the screen. It's an event feeling choice consequence. And I try to convince them that um, the event you don't have much control over, choice, your feelings, you don't have a lot of control over either. If you're sad, you're sad. And then choice and the consequence come next. I tell them that every other species, you can just take the choice out and it's event, feeling, consequence. So like the gazelle-cheetah example, if the gazelle's getting chased by the cheetah, it doesn't sit there and say,
0: hmm, you
1: know, if I go this way or that way, or maybe if I talk to the cheetah, I can convince <laughs> them, like, The nervous system is going to either go fight or flight, and they're either going to get away or it's not. But human beings have this unbelievable power to manifest their future. They can come in between feelings and consequence, and they have this thing called free will, a choice. And their feelings don't have to drive their choice. They don't have to. You can stop and say, I am absolutely upset with this person, but I know that if I make these choices right here, I can change the outcomes. I can make the consequences. They're always going to be good and bad, but less bad and more good, right? So teach your kid that they have unbelievable power to manifest their own destiny. That's a huge gift, and don't waste it. Don't let your feelings drive you. Also that, like, it's okay to suffer. Like what we talked about earlier. It's okay to fail. You just have to not let the failure destroy you, not let the suffering destroy you. And the way you do that is not avoiding it, but it is facing it. You know, we've heard the, uh, the statement, face your dragons. I absolutely believe that. You face your dragons as soon as possible so it doesn't get bigger. And you face it as frequently as possible, because every time you do, you want to learn a little bit about yourself. There's some studies about uh, people that have gone through suffering and I I don't want to uh, misquote it, so I'm going to summarize it broadly, but what happens is when you overcome suffering or overcome fear, the nervous system actually activates more of the nervous system than was activated before. So you're developing these neurological pathways. You're literally becoming more. That's amazing, right? So let our kids fail, but then always be there to encourage them. Remind them that when they do fail, it doesn't change your value, but also don't say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay, it's not okay. You need to get better at these particular processes and then we'll see what happens in the future.
0: Yeah. Man, that is so awesome. That is so awesome. Man, there's a lot of good stuff to, to digest from from uh, our talk today. I love it. That's really, really good. Um, if uh, if anybody, any of our listeners um, would like to, to get a hold of you, maybe they have questions or they're interested in uh, learning more about, about what you do, um, how can they get a hold of you? So I have uh, social media. Uh, it's
1: TM Athletic Development. It's on Instagram. Um, it's a private account, but I, I, if you're a trainer, if you're a parent, I always accept. The only reason it's private is I do actually primarily train females. So I've just told them that we'll post their videos, but I'm going to keep it private. So that's why it is private, but I'll obviously let people on if they want to, if they request to follow, as long as they're not a weirdo. <laughs> um, so I'm on there and then I have a Twitter, but I don't know what it is. So just disregard that. So Instagram is pretty much the only way to get in touch with. Me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for, uh, being on the podcast today. Um, like I said, uh, amazing information. Um, I, I think our, our parents and our athletes will really, really benefit from, uh, everything that you talked about today. I so, appreciate it. Tim. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Elevating Athletes podcast. Please support us by subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. See you on our next episode.